Well, good morning, Church of the Red Door. Uh, good to be with you this morning. I don't know, some of you may have seen the morning mix. Uh, Pastor Randy and Pastor Paul are doing a little, uh, a little uh, informative time about the church, what's going on behind the scenes, a lot of those. And we had, of course, this morning, uh, Rick Carlson's wonderful testimony. Thank you, Rick, for doing that. And so we may end up moving that around, but we want you to kind of tune into the morning mix. Uh, this morning, it started at 9.15, for those of you who didn't miss it. For those of you who may have missed it. So uh, anyway, thanks guys for doing that. And I'm excited about the future where that may go. All right, you ready to roll? Let me just pray one more time. Lord Jesus, be with us. We are desperately in need of your guidance, your input. Lord, we're going to be talking about some things that you taught this morning. And they seem impossible. Lord, help us understand. Give us deeper insight than we have. And help us understand how to walk as your disciples in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Okay, we've been talking a little bit about this uh, fairy tale-like story that's emerging. Uh, Jesus giving us an insight, a glimpse into the dimension of how things operate in the heavenly realm, where everybody's perfectly uh, beholden to the Lord and everybody's on the same page. What does that look like? How does that? How does it function? Um, obviously, there's no, there aren't tears and enemies and all those kinds of things, but Jesus gives us a deep picture in this sermon on the plane that we've been discussing about how it actually looks, what it looks like indeed to be human as, were we, as we were originally intended to be. So I'm going to start here in Luke 6, and we're going to look at verses 27 through 38 today. So allow me to read that, and then we're going to go back and try to, try to get at this, because some of this just makes me feel like a spiritual failure. When I read this, I just go, Lord, how is this even possible? And then I'm going to hopefully give you some insight this morning in, into some of the things that hold us back from being able to operate in this, in this manner. All right, are you ready? Okay, Luke chapter 6, 27 through 38. Jesus speaking again. This is mid-message uh, on the Sermon on the Plain. But I say to you, verse 27, I say to you who hear... He knows some are not going to be able to hear this, and we're going to talk a little bit about that as well. Love your enemies. What? Love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you, not just are on a different political uh, scheme than you, uh, not those who are a different uh, country or ethnicity or whatever. No, do good to those who what? Hate you. Love your enemies, do good to, not just forgive them, do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those, pray for those who mistreat you. Whoever hits you on the cheek, offer him the other also. And by the way, that's not necessarily referring to if somebody really punches you out and then it's okay, now do it again. It's really, a, it was like a, a picture of a public insult. If somebody really publicly insults you, allow them to do it again. Turn the other cheek. It goes on to say, whoever takes your coat, do not withhold your shirt from him either. Give to everyone who asks of you, and whoever takes away what is yours, don't demand it back. What? Treat others the same way you want them to treat you. If you love those who love you, what credit is that to you? For even sinners love those who love them. 
If you do good to those who do good to you, what credit is that to you? For even sinners do the same. If you lend to those from whom you expect to receive, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners in order to receive back the same amount. But love your enemies. Do good. Lend, expecting nothing in return. And your reward will be great. And you will be sons of the Most High, for he himself is kind to ungrateful and evil men. And I've always said, uh, look, for us to have a culture of honor, for us to have a, uh, a real gospel that's attractive, the true gospel, we have to operate in this function. If somebody comes into our community and they see this kind of atmosphere pervading our community, because obviously rifts will come up, people will, you know, things will happen in any kind of community, but if they can see this kind of an ethos, they're going to be drawn to Jesus. Be merciful as your father is merciful. So has your father been grateful when you were a sinner? Has your father been merciful to you as a sinner? Of course he has. And we are to walk as our father walked. He who walks in the same manner as the father is clear we love the father. So that's what Jesus is teaching here. And then lastly, verse 37, do not judge and you won't be judged. Do not condemn and, and you will not be condemned. Pardon and you will be pardoned. Give and it will be given to you. They will pour into your lap good measure, pressed down, shaking together and running over for by your standard of measure, it will be measured to you in return. Now, I <laughs> I guess in some way, I mean, Jesus just stopped there. I mean, he, he just threw out these... Uh, these bombs, and he actually just kept going. I mean, this just was bam, like I talked about last week, uh, this necklace, you know, of beads that uh, some Jewish rabbis called it, just wham, 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 one after another, and then he packed up his suitcase, and all right, let's go. I mean, I don't even know how you grapple with this, but remember how he started, for those of you who can hear this. And of course, my question this morning, when I read this, after I feel uh, adequately rebuked, and I, I'll be honest with you, I don't care how long you've been following the Lord, you can look at this and, and at times you can feel a profound sense of spiritual failure. Lord, do I do this? Do I have the intention to do this? I, as I was thinking about this this week, I was thinking about how do we accomplish this? How do we even now, first of all, let's just be absolutely clear, we cannot do this without the power of the Spirit. We must be born again. This is just, okay, give this your best shot. I'm telling you, it's going to come up way short. There's no way Jesus expected his audience to just go back home and pull this off. It was going to need, otherwise he wouldn't have needed to go to the cross and, and then he ascends to the right hand of the Father and then pours out the Spirit. The empowerment of the Spirit allows us to do this for sure, but we have to partner with the Spirit. We can't grieve the Spirit so how do we partner? What things can we proactively do or constructs that we can begin to allow to form in our mind that will give us a matrix by which we can go into life and do what we've just seen, which are essentially, you know, forgive, love our enemies. It talks about money. 
Uh, it talks, it, it just requires an incredible amount of faith. I mean, you've got to have faith to believe that if you extend mercy, you're going to get it back and it's going to be poured into your lap. If you extend uh, lending or giving or people take away from you, it's going to require incredible faith not to go after them and to, you know, uh, throw them into jail to get your stuff back or whatever. It's going to take great faith to believe that God's got enough to, you know, back this up and he's going to, he can replenish what you've lost. So it requires some uh, profound sense of a theological understanding. You know, when I've seen people who operate in this kind of a mercy-driven, generosity-driven, love your enemy, absorb the blows, kind of uh, Jesus reflection, when I see those incredible saints that walk in this kind of spiritual maturation, First of all, I see people who are deeply embedded in the word. You don't just kind of come to Christ and then just have all this or you can try it. Like I said, it's just not going to work. You have to completely wash your mind in the word and become ensconced. It's got to be so, again, deeply embedded in your soul. And you have to practice this enough, as we'll see, that at some point you can just go, okay, this is part of the way I roll. And, uh, and I do it almost instinctively. What are those three things? Well, I've kind of come up with three things. And number one, I would say we have to learn to honor image bearers. If we begin to see others, those who take from us, those who persecute us, our enemies, those who hate us, as we saw last week, those who you know, falsely accuse us, etc. You know, it says to leap for joy when that occurs. We have to understand, we have to honor image bearers, and in doing so, we're honoring God. So we're going to talk a little bit about that. What does it mean to honor image bearers? And then two, in prioritizing image bearers, we learn that we're actually beginning to live into the second commandment, and we're going to talk about that of the Ten Commandments. And then lastly, if we're going to prioritize image bearers, if we're going to be able to do that, we have got to have enough faith to, to, to undergird this new kind of practice and reality. Otherwise, we'll just, we'll just freak out. I mean, faith has to accompany this in very profound ways, and we're going to see a little bit about that as well. Okay, so first of all, what? We're going to have to learn to honor image bearers, and in doing so, we are actually loving God. We have to prioritize image bearers, and in doing so, we'll be living into the second commandment. And then that we might prioritize image bearers, we have got to have such unbelievable growth in our faith life to pull this off. Otherwise, we're going to get sidetracked, and we will be blocked from hearing the Spirit as He guides us into this kind of crazy, revolutionary life. I mean, can you... Can you name any culture, any people group over time that have ever practiced this kind of uh, godly perfection? I mean, I see Jesus on the cross. Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. I see that lived out in the person of Jesus who was falsely accused and didn't speak up. And I mean, I see it in Jesus, but have we seen it in other communities well, maybe small patchworks here and there, but it, let me tell you something. Even in today's world of, 
evangelicalism, I'm just telling you, it's a struggle to see this manifest in very many people. We just, we have this mentality that says, uh, well, we've, we've got enemies, we've got, you know, whether they be political, we get caught up in so many things that really we shouldn't get caught up in as it relates to developing enemies. Are, are we praying for those? Are we praying for Muslims? Are we praying for political opponents? Are we praying for, I mean, are we praying for these people? Are we living into this? This is the question. And so it starts by understanding that people are image bearers. I want to take you now to Genesis chapter 1. We've looked at this before. Genesis chapter 1, we're going to read verses 26 and 27. Then God said, let us, now we believe that to be the plurality of the God. It's clearly not talking about the angels. They're created being there. Not, we have no indication they're created in the image of God, Imago Dei. Uh, this is, I believe, the Godhead. There's a plurality here. Let us make man in our image according to our likeness and let them rule over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the sky and over the cattle and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. Our image, let them rule, and God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him, male and female, he created them. Man is very distinct from the animal kingdom in the sense that he is created Imago Dei. He is created in the very image of God. I, let me tell you something. If you, get, if, you, if you take nothing away from this morning, please get this. I have to remind myself when I am prone to become cynical and attack and think uh, in a hostile way towards someone else, whether they're directly you know, coming against me, whether, whether it be persecution, whether it be whatever, I have to constantly and constantly remind myself, this is an anchor of my soul. It's a stabilizing force that keeps me from very dire consequences of, of engagement with other human beings. If I have to remind myself this person is created in the image of God and in being created in the image of God, it is an act of worship to honor that image, not in worshiping them, but I worship God in honoring his image in all of humankind. Now, let me tell you something. The way that you view this will have a very specific and direct correlation to the way that you treat people. So what does this really mean? We have to have, folks, we have to have a biblical doctrine of man. Now, what does that mean? I'm going to now quote Anthony Hoytma. Listen to what he says. He says about man's personhood. <clears throat> as God is here revealed as a person, later in the history of Revelation, this is expanded to three persons. But speaking again about Genesis 1, 26 and 27, who is able to make decisions and to rule. So man is a person who is likewise able to make decisions and to rule. Okay, so what does it mean? Does that mean that God has ears and a nose and a mouth? We know that God the Father is spirit, and those who worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. That's thoroughly biblical. He gives us a picture into his character in the person of Jesus, part of the Godhead. 
but to understand God's image is really more about our ability to what? To rule and to make decisions. And it distinguishes us very clearly from uh, just the reactionary uh, um, a way that just the instinctual way that animals respond to their environment very much based. They're not out there making decisions, thinking, planning out five years, ruling, and all the complex decision-making processes. It's in that way that we are created in the image of God. And you've got to understand that all created beings of human origin are have that same kind of capacity. And in that way, they've been created in the image and the likeness of God, primarily those two facets. There may be some other corollaries, but primarily those two facets. What one thinks about this doctrine of man, I've got to tell you, as Hoytma says, is clearly determinative and significant for his or her program of action. In other words, how do I treat human beings? I've got to understand this. Now, there are some non-Christian anthropologies, if you will, or ways to think about the essence of what it is to be human. And uh, some of these uh, vary. And there's an idealistic view, if you will, uh, anthropology, which says, no, humans are just spirit and the body's a negative thing and eventually we'll be able to you know, disengage from the body and then we'll just have this spirit uh, without body. That's an idealistic view. And Certainly not a biblical view. A biblical view is that your body is not a bad thing. It was created by God. There's a fallen aspect to it, but one day we will be resurrected with new bodies and not just be a spirit emancipated from our body for the rest of eternity. That is an idealistic view, and it's a non-biblical view of what it is to be a human. Humans are, by their very created nature, a body, a soul, and a spirit, and that's important to understand. And then there's a materialistic worldview. A materialistic worldview, very clearly, uh, it manifests its in way, it manifests itself in different ways. Maybe, for instance, in Marxism, the idea of Marxism, where it's no longer the individual; it's always about the state, the collective. It's a materialistic uh, worldview, uh, and it and it manifests itself in that way. And in other ways. Maybe even B.F. Skinner with his idea that no humans don't even have the capacity to make decisions, that they are completely, uh, all of theirs are predetermined uh, by their surroundings and they're just reacting to their surroundings. And I got to tell you, the implications that are profound. It has profound implications for public policy, as an example. Uh, people can't be reformed because they can't make decisions. A person is marred by their environment and these things go on in their brains and they can never be transformed. They can, there's no redemptive course of action uh, really uh, when you have something that's just purely determinative by their surroundings. And, and that's a failed view and certainly a non-biblical view uh, or a non-biblical anthropology, if you will, about understanding the essence of man. Again, the essence of man is to be able to rule and to be able to make decisions. And if you eradicate that to the state, to just a spirit, uh, or, or you're, just, uh, you're just a function of your environment and you don't have any decision-making capacity, you can clearly see that those have profound implications. 
You know, I was reading an article this week, uh, uh, William Shatner, you know, from Star Trek, the captain from Star Trek. Can you imagine? He's 90 years old now. It just seems like I just, I still see him as a 30-year-old guy or whatever he was during the Star Trek days and that young, dashing-looking guy. And now he's, you know, he does Priceline commercials and things. But he had an interview uh, in The Guardian, um, a guy named Hadley Freeman, interviewed him and listen to what he says and again whether you're aware of it or not this is a particular this is a view of humankind so what he says he tells me uh this is hadley again referring to william shatner he tells me he has recently done a project with a company called Storyfile, which will recreate him as a 3d talking hologram And Shatner then says, isn't that incredible? So it could be on my gravestone and people can ask it questions. And as long as the electronics work, there will be some kind of permanence. Now, see, this is a materialistic view of life. In other words, he ceases to exist. But maybe if he can live on in a hologram. And he smiles. It feels rude to ask a 90-year-old if he worries about death. So I ask instead what he wishes he had known at 20 that he now knows at 90. Now catch this. Talk about, uh, this is kind of a nihilistic view. It's, a, it's an existential cry for, well, it just feels so fatalistic. It feels awful. But he says this. Here's an interesting answer, Shatner says. He says, I'm glad I didn't know because what you know at 90 is... Take it easy. Nothing matters in the end. What goes up must come down. If I'd known that at 20, I wouldn't have done anything. Now that's a view of the essence of humanity. Nothing really matters. It's all irrelevant. I mean, I've got money. I've got fame. I've got, everybody knows who I am. I mean, I've got and at 90, I realize nothing matters. It's a little bit of a Solomon's view of, of life under the sun, and he's absolutely right. Without God, nothing matters. It's all striving after when. That's kind of where he's come down. Now, if you end there and you say, okay, nothing does matter, and I'm just material, and then it's over, that's what a tragic view of the essence of humanity But if you can see that humans are endowed in the very image of God and also are, like God, eternal, well, it changes everything. And he would have done things differently, but he would have sewed into what matters. And, you know, maybe one day William Shatner will will get that as, as well. So... Again, I, I when I think of what would help me live into this Sermon on the Plain, love my enemies and give and don't require it back and, and just give generously. And I mean, I, I have to say, number one is recognizing that anyone who would come against me or take my stuff or do anything, they're still created in the image of God. Now, that doesn't mean I have to feel empathy or feel the fuzzy, warm emotions that I might feel towards my family or my close friends. That's probably not going to happen. But to to honor them and to seek their best, 
well, I can, I can begin to move into that new, well, I began to move down the rabbit's hole and I began to say, okay, I, this doesn't make any sense to me, but I'm gonna try to live in this way. And Lord, I'm gonna pray that you empower me to do it and give me insight. And then I began to practice this in very routine, small, subtle ways. And then maybe, maybe you'd be confronted, uh, all of us will be with moments in your life where someone comes against you in a very strong way and now you're called to turn and pray for them and seek their good. And say, well, I can't do that. Well, no, you can't. But you can put this word in your mind and then empowered by the Spirit, the Lord will do this in and through you. And then number two, in prioritizing image bearers, what we have to understand is that we're beginning to live into the second commandment. I'm gonna explain what that means. What is, first of all, you may ask, what's the second commandment? So I'm gonna read Exodus 20, four through six. These are, this is my view. This is just how, this is my toolkit for when people come against me or these various things occur in my life, this is my toolkit in trying to move into the dimension that Jesus clearly walked, okay? Exodus 20, verse four, you shall not make for yourself an idol or any likeness of what is in heaven or above on earth beneath or the water under the earth. You shall not worship them or serve them for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children on the third and fourth generations of those who hate me, but showing loving kindness to thousands to those who love me and keep my commandments. So this is the this is the admonition against idolatry, the commandment not to create idols. And you say, what does this have to do with someone who's coming against me and loving my enemies? It's usually idols that block our ears and our eyes from being able to hear the direction of the Spirit. Idolatry will always keep us in a place of antagonism towards those who are antagonistic towards us. And it keeps this strife going, right? Again, as we see around us these days, right now, just with the Hamas and Israel, and you see these tensions and back and forth and back and forth and back and forth, it's not until absorption occurs on both sides that peace is even possible. And this is what Jesus is teaching. This is the path. Now, I'm not, I, not good. Please understand, these are usually individuals. Nations are responsible. There is a different place. You know, Romans talks about, Romans 13 talks to us about uh, the state has the power of the sword for the good of people. So we're not talking about geopolitical everything but on a personal level, and we know them here at Church of the Red Door, we do know Jews and Arabs who are now loving one another together in Christ. That is important to see. So again, what does this have to do? Well, let me just give you a couple of thoughts about idolatry, some potential pitfalls that would disallow us from being able to live into this kind of a way to be human that Jesus is talking about here on the Sermon on the Plain. All right, you ready? Number one, what if I'm deeply vengeful? What does that mean? When folks cross me, I just, I can't forgive. Well, at the heart of this is pride. And what does the Bible teach about this? Well, humility comes before honor and pride goeth before a fall. I mean, that's what we have to understand. So if you're falling from this new way to be human, it can't often be pride. You're just unable, ill-equipped to forgive anybody. Why? It's just stinking pride. 
They did me wrong. I cannot let it go. I'll forgive, but I'll never forget. I mean, all these kinds of little admonitions that, you know, these little cliches that we have in our mind. And we, some of you are still holding on to bitterness that you've had for 50 years, 30 years. It's just not what Jesus is teaching us as his disciples. He knows you can't pull it off, but let me tell you something. You can in his power. So if you're vengeful, you just can't forgive, forget. Some of you can't even do this in family. Forget an enemy who's actually come against you in a very hostile way. Some of you can't even get along in your family. You know, I mean, so we have to learn that Jesus, what Jesus is teaching is radical and revolutionary. And again, I, I, I still at times, I feel like such a failure in some of these areas, folks. But again, we're going to be people of the word. Number two, what if you're, you know, incredibly cynical? Okay. You mock, you gossip, you slander. Uh, and again, you do friends, family, it's, it's all, it can be, but what about enemies? Well, typically you're just insecure. You don't have your identity in Christ. You don't look for him, to him for your affirmation. So the first was your own pride. Your idol was you. Now the idol becomes others. Now you say, well, no, but yes, if you are so concerned about what others think about you, your identity has yet not been established in Christ. So you're always looking for others' approval rather than the approval of the only one. And so what you're really doing, whether you're aware of it or not, is you're making idol out of other created beings. And you're allowing them to determine. So you feel insecure. And so as a reaction, you're quick to slander or you can't go to someone if you have a problem. You're going to go tell five other people about how they've disparaged you or whatever. And you're just living. Again, it's a complete lack of spiritual maturation. It's certainly something not living up to this sermon on the plane that Jesus is talking about. So one is our pride. We, our idol is us. And then two... We become cynical and slander and this. We're insecure and idol becomes other people, our idol. And then lastly, too, uh, and these are just three examples. What if I'm just stingy? A lot of this had to do what we just saw is about giving. And it can be giving of time and money and energy and your just your attention. But if you're stingy with that, what's the case? Well, you've made money or power or whatever your idol. And uh, if, you know, obviously if you're greedy, you're lacking a faith that God can provide for you. If your enemy takes something from you and you don't demand it back, what's that mean? You know, how, how are you going to move forward? And so a lot of this materialism that we live in, and, and I just don't have ears to hear. And so when Jesus is talking about this, I, I just can't relate. I mean, somebody takes from me, I'm going to go after it. If somebody, you know... They take your coat, give them your shirt. What? What does this even mean? It's a new way of being human. It's what it looks like in the kingdom realm. And it's the way the gospel advances effectively. When people punch and you don't punch back. It's absorption. We've talked about that. Think about Colossians 3, verse 5. Therefore, consider the members of your earthly body as dead to immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, 
and greed, which amounts to idolatry. So yeah, greed is idolatry. The love of stuff, security, well-being, power. You know, money gives you all those things. It's not just that I have money in the bank. It's that I feel secure. Well, is your security in Christ? If I have, you know, I, no, I can't give anything away. I can't give my time away or my money away, nothing. I'm not, I don't live in any kind of lavish generosity at all because functionally, I can't even hear Jesus' words here. I mean, I, I hoard, I hold on to my stuff. If you touch it, you're in big trouble. And then you read Jesus' sermon on the plane, you're like, well, next, you know? Let's, it's kind of like one of those game shows where you go, pass, you know, they give you a question, you're supposed to answer it. If you don't, pass, go to the next question, pass. You know, it's like Jesus is not a game show where he just begins to give you questions and make some, you know, and then you go, I'll pass on that one. Okay, next, uh, maybe I can do that. I'll pass on that one. We have to eat the word. We have to eat the whole thing. That's what Jesus meant when he said, you must eat my flesh and drink my blood. You've got to eat everything. Or we go back to Exodus 12. They were to take the lamb in their house and they were to eat the whole thing. So we've got to eat everything Jesus, his words, we have to eat it all. And it is radically revolutionary and so difficult. First of all, we have to see the image of God in others. Then we have to recognize that we are actually obeying the second commandment. When we can rid ourselves of these, this idolatry in our lives, it allows us to begin to love our enemies. We can hear God. We're not so demanding, we're not so cynical, we're not so prideful, we're not so greedy. Does that make sense? Okay, I, you can't answer me. Sometimes I, have, I, I can't wait till we get back together where I can look out and at least one of you would have gone, given me one of these. So I'm, a, I'm assuming whether you're on your couch or in your office or wherever you are right now, you gave me a little nod of your head. I hope so, I hope, you, I hope we're getting this. And then lastly, 1 John chapter 4, verse 20, if someone says, well, I love God, and he hates his brother, he's a liar. For the one who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. So don't talk about loving God and hating your brother. What sometimes, well, we hate those who hate us and we love those who love us. That's the way the world operates. That is not the way the kingdom operates. So even if it's our enemy, someone comes against us, someone steals from us, whatever it is, Someone extorts from us, whatever it is. If we can't seek their best, we're not living into Christ. And we can't say that we love God. I know that's harsh. That may seem way over the top. I'm just giving you Bible this morning. It's all I have. I don't have anything else. All I have is the word. And it's tough, but it's liberating. Change your life. Give you freedom. And then lastly, if we're going to prioritize image bearers, well, we're gonna have, we're gonna need some extraordinary amount of faith to get through this. Okay, so first of all, a couple things about faith. We know that faith comes by hearing. Your faith has an opportunity to grow this morning just as a function of you hearing the word. That's why you're here, you, you know, you, we get a lot, you get a lot of Bible. You know, this is not just one little verse and then me just waxing eloquent on this. I can't even do that. I don't even know how to teach the Bible without teaching the Bible, right? I don't know how to do a sermon without using the scripture. I'm completely and utterly beholden to the text. 
So what does it say? Faith comes by hearing. Well, Romans 10, 17. So faith comes by hearing and hearing by what? By the word of Christ. That's what we're looking at. The word of Christ, the sermon on the plain, similar to the sermon on the mount, the sermon on the plain. What is he saying? Love your enemies. Lend, don't require it back. Give. Somebody asks you of something, they strike you on the cheek, turn the other cheek. In the measure, in the way in which you give it out, mercy, generosity, it's going to be given back to you. Does that grow your faith or say, well, I don't know if that's going to work? First of all, you have to hear it. And that's what we're doing this morning and try to do every Sunday. And then two, it has to be acted upon. You just can't, faith has to grow. Now, many of you know this. This is often misused and misquoted by people who get very legalistic. But please understand, James 2, still Bible, verses 14 through 17. What use is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith, but he has no works? Now, don't think of works as just feeding the poor. It it includes that. But it's corresponding action in the physical seen realm where you're applying your faith. You're doing something about it. You're making a volitional. Remember, it gets back to being an image bearer. What is an image bearer? Someone who can make decisions and then rule. Okay, and act. We have volitional will. We are not, as B.F. Skinner said, just a function of our environment, and we really don't. It's a myth that we can make our own decisions. That is just not true. That is a non-Christian anthropology. It's a non-biblical doctrine of man. We can make these decisions. Can that faith save him? He goes on to say, if a brother or sister is without clothing and need of daily food, and one of you says, well, go in peace, be warmed and be filled, and yet you do not give them what is necessary for their body, what use is that? I have faith. Be warm and be filled. Maybe the Lord will provide for you. And you have, give it to them. That's what Jesus is saying. Give it to him. Even so, faith, if it has no works, it's dead. Being by itself. Now, what is something that's dead? Well, dead things aren't growing. They're not changing. Let me tell you something. Your opportunity for spiritual growth and maturation to become more like Jesus, to be conformed to his image, necessitates a workout. You can't grow muscle. You can't get endurance without running, lifting weights, doing it, eating properly. We all know that in the seen realm, but somehow we relegate that to the seen realm and don't believe it's true in the spiritual realm. What is a good workout look like in the spiritual realm? Applying works a reaction, a volitional decision to the faith that's growing. When those things combine, you grow spiritually. Folks, we have to get this. You can't just say you have faith. You have to have a corresponding action. Some of you right now, almost all of us, have someone that's maybe coming against them, especially the deeper you get down this rabbit's hole, to use that allegory again, She's that analog. The deeper you go down, the more you're going to be persecuted. Jesus told us that. Those, again, what Paul said it as well, told Timothy. We looked at it last week. Those who desire a godly life, living into what Jesus is teaching here, will be persecuted. People aren't going to like this. 
And that's your opportunity to get this incredible workout, man. You can just pump in iron. I mean, I'm sitting here in my office. I can't see it off camera here, but I've got I've got some weights over here and I've got some different things and some pulley ropes and all different kind of things. And I it's a workout. This is your weight. This is your opportunity. This is your resistance to grow, spiritually speaking. It's when these things occur to you. Enemies come against you. People hate you. They take your stuff. They, they want. They slap you on one sleek. You turn the other. It's your opportunity to go to the gym. And if you can see it that way, but does that require faith? Of course it is. You want to know what your faith looks like? You want to know the level of your faith? Well, first it comes by hearing. Then it comes by your volitional decision to act on the faith that you have. When you hear it, you act on it. Then you'll grow. You'll have, your ears will begin to become unclogged. And then lastly, we must have faith that though persecution and tribulation, clearly they're going to come our way. God is active in his sovereignty. He's plenipotent. Now, you're going to laugh at that, but God is plenipotent. What does that mean? It was my dictionary word of the day. It fit perfectly for this. I kind of, I, I see a new word every day. I try to learn them. I can remember about a tenth of them, but plenipotent. I'm like, plenipotent. All right, well, that sounds kind of, you know, omnipotent. And, you know, it, and what it means is that God has full power if you apply it to God. It's, that he has all the power that he needs to accomplish the task. Do you believe that God is plenipotent? Do you believe that God has everything for you and is gonna back you up in this faith adventure? Do you believe that? Do you believe that he's sovereign? Do you believe that he's working things together for your ultimate eternal good or are you just caught in the moment? The moment of anger, the moment of tension, the moment of cynicism, the moment of pride and whatever it is, uh, vengeance, um, hoarding, whatever it is. Are you caught in those human, very human emotions right now? We have to understand that God is sovereign. Yes, we have the capacity to make decisions. Yes, we can rule and in that way, we're created in the likeness and the image of God. And yet, it's balanced with God's sovereignty. Romans 8, 28 and 29. Many of you will know this incredibly well, but let's listen to it in context. And we know that God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to become what? Conformed to the image of his son so that he would be the firstborn among many brethren. Again, we talk about this at Church the Red Door all the time. If you don't have the primary construct in your brain that the purpose of being on earth is to be conformed to the image of his son so that you will fit beautifully into the eternal realm then you won't see these things come against you as being an opportunity to go to the gym. You'll just see them as tragedies. Uh, you won't see them as catastrophes. to again use J.R.R. Tolkien's uh, word, good catastrophes. 
You won't have the faith for that. And as a result, idols will block you and you'll claw back everything. You'll, you'll defend yourself to the nth degree. You love your enemies. You'll hate your enemies. In fact, you'll want to squash your enemies. Look, we have to pull back. Is this revolutionary? Of course it is. People don't want to hear this. They just want to hear the salvation message. A lot of people just want to hear, how do I go to heaven and not go to hell? Tell me what I need to believe. And then this is all just kind of, you know, I don't know about all this. I mean, this is kind of next level stuff. It is, but it's our call as followers of Jesus. Are you a disciple? Are you someone who really wants to follow? Look, these are, again, three primary ways to view the world and God that allow me to navigate the waters of people who may come against me. Navigate the waters of generosity and all the other things that we have looked at here. And boy, does it require, boy, does it require faith. And again, I'm going to read this last part. Verse 38, again, Luke 6, verse 38. Give and it will be given to you. They will pour into your lap a good measure, pressed down, shaking together, and running over. By your standard of measure, it will be measured to you in return. That's the faith part of this. So again, there's a forgiveness part, there's a financial part, there's a... Um, you know, don't be a hall monitor. Don't be everybody's judge and judging everything. That's usually just in, arises out of insecurity. And you're putting your hope or your idol in man. You're, 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 you're looking to them for your, you know, any kind of stabilizing influence in your life. You're looking for them for affirmation. Don't do that. Humans are too fickle. Even your best friend, even your closest friend, you, if you look to them for affirmation all the time, they will come up sadly short. I want to be there to affirm my kids and affirm my wife and my close friends and my church. And I want to affirm all of you, but I'll still fail. God will not fail in that. And then lastly, really, this is faith. So do you see this? The question is, we can read this and go, oh, yeah, yeah, it sounds beautiful. Very, Jesus is a very good teacher, you know, very articulate. These seems, this is really good stuff here. What time? This, this message is about over, and it is. Well, you know, and then we're off to our stuff, and then we, we, we miss an opportunity. Please don't miss this opportunity this morning. Again, to restate, what's, what should be in your toolkit? Whoever may be coming against you, whoever you may feel bitter against, could be an enemy, could be even within your own family. Can I just say... If you can get up every day and say, Lord, it is an act of worship for me as I honor your image in this person. Lord, I don't feel it, but I seek their highest good. I choose because I am created in your image. I have the capacity to make decisions. And today I choose to seek their highest good. I don't hold this against them. I'm going to do the best I can to love this enemy. Number one, you see the image of God in them. Number two, Lord, I want to live into the obedience to your commandments. I don't want any idol to be in there. I don't want to be blocked from being able to do this because of greed or self-worship or worship of the other creation. Lord, I don't want that. 
I want a proper di first I want a proper doctrine of man and then I want an understanding that Lord idolatry can hold me back. Do you, do you see do you see the image of God in others? Do you see how it can be blocked by idolatry? John Dixon said there's only one image of God on earth, a divine representative. It is humanity itself. And then lastly, can you have the faith from this morning? Has your faith grown as you've heard the word? Is there an opportunity for you today to go out and go to the gym? Practice what Jesus is teaching here so that you can grow and your faith not be dead? Faith without a corresponding volitional decision of action is dead. Dead things aren't growing. Dead things aren't producing fruit. Dead things aren't being conformed to the image of his son. The very purpose for which you were predestined to be chosen. This is glorious here. It's revolutionary. And it's so hard. But so is going to the gym. Are you going to go to the spiritual gym this week? I pray that you do. Let me pray for you. Lord Jesus and me. Lord Jesus, would you help me? I'll pray for me first. And everybody gets to listen in. Lord Jesus, would you help me love my enemies? Would you help me be a lavish giver? Would you help me? And Lord, I'm now praying this for our whole community, whether they're online or Church of the Red Door folks or what. I'm praying right now. Just pray this. If you, if you have the faith to pray this, Lord, give me a sustainable spirit that chooses the, the higher good for even those that I can't stand in my own flesh because I see the image of God. I see your image in them. And it is my act of worship to you this morning. Lord, help me, help me obey the second commandment, not to allow idolatry to get in the way of loving others and seeking their highest good. And Lord, just grow my faith. Grow our faith. I, that's our prayer this morning and my prayer for anybody who would, who would stand with me. Lord, help us live into this difficult teaching, but gloriously liberating teaching of the King of the cosmos, Jesus. And in his name we say, amen, amen. Hey, we love you. Can't wait to be with you uh, soon. We've got more updates coming for you. Uh, we press on. We are, we are loving some of those who are making this process difficult for us. Uh, but, you know, our hope is still in Christ, and we can't wait to be back with you very soon. Have a glorious and wonderful Sunday.